You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. This is Mike, and we also have Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy! How are you, my friend? I am peachy keen. How be things this week for you? Uh, things be peachy. Uh, it's actually pretty good. There's a lot of exciting stuff going on. We're about to get into uh, really heavy, uh, like for me, uh, convention season has started. I had one a couple weeks ago, and we've got two coming up in March. I've also got uh, some other stuff happening in March that uh, is going to be crazy. So, yeah, I'm just gearing up. This is this year's just getting started. Oh, yeah. Cons are right around the corner. You know, different people, are, friends of ours are going to cons. We're hearing about all these different shows and seeing pictures. And, you know, it's it's really fun. And we got a lot of great stuff going on we've got you know panels at some of these cons and we're going to be interviewing people it's just going to be a lot of fun but we have a great episode for you this week we are going to be looking at the 10th anniversary of Coraline a great groundbreaking movie you know by the works of Neil Gaiman actually it's pretty darn awesome and you know this is from the same people who did Kubo and it's just it's great. It is really, really great. So definitely going to talk all about that, but we definitely want to hear from you guys at home. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. Leave us some mail. What are your thoughts on Coraline? We definitely would love to hear it. We'd also want to hear what cons you guys have coming up. I could uh, finally tell you that the second episode of the Dragon Con report is now available by the time this goes live. So you'll be able to hear all the fun of going on and i think the topic this last time mike was um is it okay to go to dragon con by yourself yes yeah is it yeah uh, is it yeah is it what do you think about going to dragon con solo Mm -hmm. and it it was a really good topic got a great crew to talk all about it so check it out up on the eso network definitely you know we've got a lot to talk about this week so let's get started right away Ready, Mr. Mike? What do you have on your mind this week? Yeah, we are ready to rant and rave. Um, well, uh, so this weekend, I, uh, I spent the weekend really uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with uh, WWE uh, Page, uh, character Page, um, in various forms. Uh, I, of course, I was excited for the movie that, uh, that was released fighting with my family. So I was planning to see that on Sunday. So, uh, I decided to, um, now, uh, the fighting with my family is, um, based on, for those people who don't know, is based on a WWE wrestler named Paige, who, uh, was, uh, pretty groundbreaking, I think, um, and in the industry, she made her debut in the WWE. Um, it was only five years ago and, uh, her story is quite the, the intense one. They uh, actually made a documentary about her and her family, her wrestling family, uh, over in Britain. Uh, and it aired on Britain, British TV, like, uh, in 2012, this was, before she became Paige. This is when she was just wrestling uh, with her family. I think uh, her father is, is um, 
uh, rowdy Ricky Knight and uh, his, uh, his, 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 uh, his wild wife, uh, wrestling wife is, uh, yeah, I can't think of her name. Is it Soraya? I thought it was Soraya. Yeah, I think so. Um, but, uh, anyway, um, so yeah, she came from, uh, and her brothers all wrestle and they, yeah, they just have a, they, that's what they did uh, for a living. They, they were a family of wrestlers. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's all about, um, the documentary is all about uh, Paige, uh, as we know her now, Paige and her uh, brother um, auditioning for um, uh, to be in the WWE. It's a great documentary, and I watched it for the first time this week, this weekend, before I saw the movie. And also, just to refresh it in my head, I uh, turned on the WWE Network and I watched um, the uh, her debut, Paige's debut, uh, she made her de- debut on the main roster on, uh, it was April of 2014. It was the Raw after WrestleMania 30, which was a huge WrestleMania. There was a lot happening. Uh, Undertaker's streak has just been broken. Daniel Bryant had just, Daniel Bryant had just become the, you know, the Yes movement was in full effect. There was a lot of stuff going on. Uh, but Paige made her debut uh, and she beat AJ uh I want to say AJ Styles. Nope. She beat, that would have been amazing. No, really. She beat AJ Lee, who was the Divas champion at the time, uh, to become the youngest ever uh, Divas champion in WWE history. And uh, yeah, and ever since then, she now it's weird because her career is now over. Uh, unfortunately, she suffered an injury last year that uh, put her on the shelf. And uh, so she had a it wasn't even a four-year career, and she's only 28 now, Mike. Can you believe it? I know. She <laughs> feels like she's been there forever already. I know, and she's only her, her career of wrestling was only like four years, and a lot of that she was not even on the roster because she left and came back, and there was a whole bunch of drama there. The movie but doesn't have to, But also remember, she was part of X, you know, what, next, you know, before she was in WWE, too. Yeah, she had a career in NXT. Uh, she actually joined up with um with uh she was when she was first in development um in florida it was florida championship wrestling where she was uh training for the wwe and then that became nxt and that turned into nxt around the same time as the network yeah because the wwe network started in 2014 so she was really one of the first stars uh, NXT stars to come out of the WWE network, mm-hmm. which is why when she made her debut on raw, like a lot of people already knew who she was. Um, so, but the movie doesn't talk about, I mean, the movie is not about her whole career. The movie pretty much is a uh, recreation of the, um, the documentary. So it, it, it spotlights the family and in particular Paige and her brother it covers them uh, uh, um, auditioning for the WWE. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> Paige gets in and her brother does not. So that creates some drama. And so it, it, it talks about that. And it, and it ends with her debut on the main roster uh, on Raw. So it's, 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 a great, it's a great story. And uh, it's really done really well. It's, it's advertised as a comedy drama. Now, I think that's a little misleading because, yes, there are parts that are very funny. 
but it's not one of those like knee slapper comedies like that you'd see, you know, that, uh, that certainly America's known for. It's more, it's very British, uh, even though it's, it's sponsored, it's a WWE movie, uh, WWE studios. Uh, it was produced by or co-produced by the rock, uh, Dwayne Johnson. He does appear in the movie. And uh, um, it does take some liberties, of course, uh, movies do, uh, with the with the actual story. But I don't think it it strays too far from the source material. And uh, the actors that they have in the movie, uh, the uh, Florence Pugh, I think is her name. She plays Paige, and she's great. Uh, she's she's a little bit more innocent looking. Uh, girl next door looking than Paige actually is. You know, Paige looks like right when you look at like Paige, she looks like she's a wild girl that could kick your ass. Uh, Florence is not exactly that like that wild looking, but she did put in the work. You could tell the wrestling moves that she has are really uh, solid. So she did get some training. Um, and the actor that plays her brother, uh, I'm trying to remember his name. I think it's Jack Loudon uh zach zodiac uh he's really good i've seen him before i think he was in dunkirk um but to me like they almost stole the show uh nick frost plays rowdy ricky knight and lena headley plays sweet soraya uh pages and pages and zach's mother and father and they are amazing they're great um it's great to have uh solid uh actors uh, uh sort of anchor this movie uh they're just they're just so fun uh, and they do a really good job at bringing their, their real parents to life as well, especially Lena Headley. If people only know Lena from Game of Thrones, this is going to be a lot different for them, for them. But she just shows her range. She's just a great actress. And it looked like she and, and Nick did some wrestling training, too, because they're in some matches as well. I don't think they used too many body doubles for this. But uh, Vince Vaughn is in it. Um, he kind of plays the face of the WWE he plays about like, uh, 40 characters combined. And of course, like I said, Dwayne's in it and he plays, of course, the rock and, uh, he's, you know, he's the rock. He's awesome. Yeah, exactly. So, but it doesn't matter what you think. Exactly. Uh, there are some WWE wrestlers that make cameos. Um, and, uh, so you can like keep a sharp eye out for that. And there's a few other Easter eggs too, but uh, Michelle and I saw it on Sunday and uh, she enjoyed it as well. We, we thought it was a very solid movie. I don't think it's going to win any awards. You know, I mean, I know the Oscars were the Oscars for next year are really far apart, but I don't think this is going to be a contender, um, but it is a solid movie. It's a fun movie. I do recommend it. Uh, even if you're not interested in wrestling, I think, actually, I think if you're, if you don't know anything about, professional wrestling if you don't know anything about the wwe you're going to learn a lot because it does go behind the scenes of wrestling not only for the wwe but for you know the all these all these like um independent wrestlers that just kind of you know uh, in, in a way that is like it it's it's it treats it more a light lighter it's not as heavy as say that movie the wrestler that came out a few years ago which was very depressing no, this uh, shows more of how you can get into wrestling and and the process that you have to go through with going to the training camps and going to the auditions and going then, you know, working your way up through NXT and working up into the main roster. Yeah, I mean, they don't spend a lot of time on NXT, to be honest with you. They They kind of just briefly go over that. 
Um, and it certainly doesn't document her entire journey, but it does, you know, it, it does some shortcuts, but it's there. So, um, but the bottom line is, like I said, it's not supposed to be a documentary. If you want to see the documentary, watch the documentary because you can watch it on YouTube. It's awesome. Um, so I definitely agree with that. Although if you're like me, I mean, even though I like watching English shows, I did wish that it was subtitled because sometimes their 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 accents are really thick. But uh, in the in the documentary, but uh, not so much in the movie. In the movie, it's directed by Stephen Merchant, who also appears in the movie. Uh, I give it a solid like four stars. I thought it was really good. Um, and like I said, I think it's appealing even to people who are not into, into wrestling. I think they'll, they'll learn a little bit. Um, it's got that same vibe to it that, uh, remember, uh, back in the day when, uh, a movie like the commitments, uh, I think it's got that same kind of vibe to it. Um, so it's, it can be, it's really fun. Nope. I totally agree with that. And, you know, it does have that, from what I've heard, kind of that Roddy Doyle feel, and it's pretty darn awesome. So, yeah, definitely I've heard it's worth checking out 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, well, that's pretty solid. I, uh, I I think it's worthy of it. So, and, you know, it's worthy of, uh, if you, if you want to dive deeper, you know, the WWE Network has almost every match that Paige was ever in on it, and there's definitely some highlights. Uh, if you want to know what those are, just message me and I can... I can tell you all the good spots. Uh, you definitely want to get see that her debut, um, and it's fun to compare it to the movie version uh, because they did a really good job recreating it. But of course, they they kind of drag it out because back in those days, women only got like they were lucky to get five minutes on TV, um, if that. So, uh, so the movie kind of makes it into like ten or fifteen minutes. <laughs> so it's like it's a little bit more of a match, but. Nope, and in, totally this day and age, in this day and age when you know we're all we're hearing about women's uh evolution and women's wrestling being a big thing with you know with uh rowdy ronda rousey uh at, in making headlines as well as becky lynch the man and charlotte flair and we're looking at them maybe even headlining wrestlemania this year which is something that was unheard of back in the day when Paige first joined up i think we do owe it a bit to Paige. And the work that she paved the way for in order for the women's evolution to really uh, show people that there was something different than just, you know, divas. Nope. Agree completely. Definitely, definitely agree. Wow. You took up the whole rants and raves with that, sir. That's <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> and it's perfect because this is during like WrestleMania season. So it was like, even though I'm really into wrestling right now, I kind of just like sidetracked with Paige, but uh, I'm still like really into, you know, the road to WrestleMania continues. Okay. Along. We'll talk about the Academy Awards later in the show. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Make. Minor thing. Look at the Academy Awards. Yeah, congrats, whatever. congrats to Remy for winning best actor. Congrats on our favorite uh, movie, not winning best, you know, film would have loved to see Black Panther, but congrats. Hey, to Black Pro- Panther won three awards. So yeah, I know. Including so, best score. That's pretty good. Yep, I know. And you know, so we're we're good. We're good. Olivia Coleman, congrats, you know, for Yeah, what a great job. Like she's such a solid actress. Oh, I'm God, so yeah. happy for her. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. And it was awesome. You know, I think Lady Gaga had the best speech. 
she was almost in tears but olivia was just blew the house down olivia gets the my my uh award for most enthusiastic uh, oh she she was shocked <laughs> she, she was she was, shocked. she was legitimately stunned yeah and remy fell off the stage so it was awesome yes he did poor guy yeah exactly so yeah, there you go and green card won best picture and, and there was no host yeah i know that was the best part about it opening with queen <laughs> oh that was awesome Yep. So there you Everything go. Everything should open with. Can we get Queen to open the show? Sure. They're not doing anything anymore. <laughs> well, they're going to be here. I'll just. We'll just ask them. We'll just ask them. Hey, you know, <laughs> can you play? We will rock you at the beginning. No. That would be cool. Yeah, I could do it. We could I do think it. We might I get like it. a couple more listeners out of that. Yeah, think we'd probably get at least two. <laughs> And with that, let's take a quick break. We got the Geek Seat coming up. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. Award season has now officially come and gone with the Oscars taking place this past weekend. I was super excited to see some geek-related films like Black Panther and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse getting some recognition. I feel like Hollywood doesn't always recognize really great geek films come awards season, which sometimes feels a little unfair because there's some great storytelling, some great characters. So I was really excited to see some of those really get some prominent exposure during awards season this year. Both those are great movies. If you haven't seen them yet, be sure to check them out. While we still have a couple weeks left before our first big geek movie of the spring, which is, of course, Captain Marvel, we do have several new movies coming out in theaters this weekend. The first is the latest in Tyler Perry's franchise, A Medea Family Funeral. We also have a thriller called Greta, which is about a young woman in New York City named Frances who befriends an older woman named Greta. She seems nice enough. A piano teacher who loves classical music seems pretty safe and harmless. Of course, since this is a thriller, the relationship soon starts to sour, and the situation isn't quite what it seems. Finally, we have a documentary about Apollo 11, which includes some previously never-seen large-format film footage. This one sounds like it's going to be the perfect companion to the fairly recent film First Man, which is a biography about Neil Armstrong. Again, that's an excellent film. If you have not seen it yet, please do. I'm really excited because um, I'm hoping that this Apollo 11 documentary will be able to kind of capture some of the same essence as another recent documentary, which is They Shall Not Grow Old, which covers a different topic, of course, about World War One. But one of the things I liked most about They Shall Not Grow Old is the way they so carefully restored old film footage and it really brings history to life and makes you think about it and experience it in a way that you haven't before so i hope that this apollo 11 documentary is able to do something very similar it's important that we tell these stories from history and restoring this film footage to preserve it for future generations is an important part of that finally on dvd this week we have ralph breaks the internet the sequel of course to wreck it ralph I enjoyed Wreck-It Ralph, and I also enjoyed the sequel, even though I think it's fair to say that the sequel isn't quite as fresh or inventive, didn't generate quite as much buzz as the first one, although that often seems to be the case with sequels, doesn't it? 
If you haven't seen it yet, it's worth a rental. Just maybe don't expect quite the same amount of fun as the first movie. And that's it for this week. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog, boxofficebuzzab.wordpress.com. This week, I'm taking a look at the new Netflix series, The Umbrella Academy. Greetings, Starfighters. It's Sean from the Rusted Robot Podcast. Join me and the Rusty crew as we break down the latest geeky movie trailers, talk about TV, comics, toys, games, casting news, and all things nerdy. Find us on all your favorite podcast apps, the ESO Network, and at therustedrobot.podbean.com. The Rusted Robot Podcast, your source for geek since 2014. The Rusted Robot Podcast. Think about it. Welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it's time for the Geek Seat segment, and let's introduce to you to Zach Steele. Welcome to Earth Station One. Hey, man. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Welcome. Welcome to the station. Uh, for those people who may not be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I am a writer and uh, decided that I needed to have a community to to help foster that. So I created a uh, writing organization called Broadleaf Writers, and uh, we facilitate events in and around the Atlanta area. That's awesome. How long has that uh, been around, that organization? We're in our fourth year. Wow. Congratulations. That's very cool. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. It's, it's a little bit like herding cats, isn't it? Uh, very much so, yeah. <laughs> expecting, <laughs> expecting writers to both come out or respond to emails is not a smart thing to do. Exactly. Well, I, I think I was reminded just last night that uh, the, the easiest thing one can do is not write. So uh, <laughs> that's very true. Very true. You should have uh, you should have no problem getting them to do something else, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but the gatherings that you have are not just like you know chit chats, right? They're actually more like seminars, right? You've got yeah, one coming up in March. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you know trying to get writers to socialize is probably a really horrible idea. So <laughs> we, we take the more educational route, and um, you know we have an annual conference that we do at the end of every September. Uh, which has been our signature event um, this year will be the fourth one and we're starting to add some other programs to go with it the um, upcoming self-publishing seminar being the the prime one that's awesome that's uh definitely one that uh i'm interested in as a as a because lord knows i I don't know what i'm doing half the time (laughs) and i think i that's a i could speak for a lot of self-publishers that way um but uh, yeah, tell us about the publishing seminar that you have coming up uh, in March, uh, mid-March, right? At the yeah, Cobb Gallery. Yes, yeah, March 16th at the Cobb Gallery, and we're going to be there all day going through uh, kind of the nuts and bolts of self-publishing from start to finish. And uh, though uh, Broadleaf Writers is specifically, you know, we're, we're geared toward trying to teach people the, the craft of writing, because I do believe, you know, writing well is the key to getting published. Um, I also recognize that self-publishing has become a, a bigger and much more viable part of the publishing process and more and more writers are doing it. So I'd like to make sure that writers have the the tools that they need in order to do this. And so you know, we've got five fabulous writers who have been very successful with self-publishing and they're, they're going to literally walk you through from the moment you have a finished book to the time that it is finished and in print and uh, try to help you create the best product you can and hopefully take a lot of the fear away. Wow. There are so many options available for, for independent publishers, it really is a is an interesting time now. Very much so, yeah. 
So a lot of options that writers didn't have before to be able to reach a large part of, you know, but there's also like with that, there's a lot more competition too. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, obviously the market is pretty much flush. Everybody, uh, well, not everybody, but uh, you know, there are so many more people who are trying to publish and, you know, uh, outside of trying to take the traditional route, it's, it's become more accessible to, to writers who maybe they don't, want to take that that mass approach of commercial publishing um and because of the 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 ease of being able to um get your book into print more and more people are in fact trying to do that so uh for the self-writer self-publishing seminar that you have coming up Mm -hmm. um would you say so how what should people want to get more information about that is is there a fee what do they have to do to if they're interested in this well we have our information spread out i mean we have our own website uh, broadleafwriters.com and we have the self publishing seminar information there um you know we we have an event page on facebook we're all over the place but um there is a registration fee we try to keep it as as low as possible it's $75 gets you the whole day um, and if you are a member of our organization, we do drop the price to $65. So, gotcha. Well, like, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the organization itself. Um, uh, is there, is our, is there requirements to join? What are the benefits of joining, uh, the Broadleaf writers? Well, you're not at all required to become a member. Um, you can certainly participate in everything that we do without having to take that route. Uh, the membership is, it's a, it's an annual membership that you pay. It's 40 bucks in it gets you um, discounts on registration, like I mentioned with this one coming up and, uh, you know, much bigger discount off of the, uh, the conference at the end of the year. But it also um, taps you into uh, members only news, you know, that comes direct, directly from me. Um, and um, of course, you're helping support the organization grow with your resources and, um, you know, some other uh, other benefits that we're trying to add as we go through the uh, through this year and beyond. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very cool. Um, what are some of the um, uh, benefits of having or being part of, uh, you know, a writer's association like, like this? Well, I use, I use the word community a lot. And um, one, because I feel like it, it, it definitely describes what we're trying to do, but also because writers are terrified of the word networking. <laughs> yeah, because that requires a lot of talking. Um, but 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 really, we're trying to create a community, and um, and by community, I just mean um, writers who convene together at these events, and also beyond that, you know, forming critique groups and finding beta readers and editors, and and working together to try to help one another reach the goals, the dreams that they have. Um, and I feel like we're, uh, we're, we're much, we're, we're solitary creatures. You know, we are, our work by nature has us inside our heads and working, working alone. And, um, the best thing you can do to help yourself as a writer is be around other writers. That's, that's true. Uh, it can, it can be, it, yeah, it can be very helpful, very inspirational. Um, mm-hmm. so especially once you figure once you find out like, Hey, I'm not the only one that feels this way. Um, yeah. or I'm not the only one that has this problem. Um, right, right, yeah, yeah. No, it's such a unique thing where it's like every, like you know, the the trips, the the tricks and tools that one person uses, it might not work for everybody. But it's it's true. I mean, there there's a lot of individual th- uh, bits to it. But I mean, honestly, you know, you get so used to things happening to you as a writer and and the rejections and the you know trying to play the game of of getting an agent and an editor and all this that you you forget that other people are doing the same thing. And when you hear 
other writers talking about the same stories, although, you know, through their own perspectives, it, 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 I, I feel like it makes it easier. It, it, it helps you know that you're not alone in this process. Yeah. And it's very nice too. I mean, it's as far as, you know, um, being a having a community and just being part of something that uh, is supportive rather than mm -hmm. there's so much out there, especially online. That's, that's negative. Oh yeah. Um, it's nice to have agencies that are more supportive than that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, cool. That, um, as far as uh, the books that uh, you've written, um, where can people find out more information about that? Well, the books that I've written um, were published by a self-publisher, I mean, a small press that um, no longer exists for one reason. <laughs> okay. Ouch. Yeah, they, 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 stopped, uh, they stopped existing in the middle of my third book, which sort of sent me on a different route. Um, no, the two books, they still exist. They're still out there. And um, uh, they were uh, satirical in nature. Um, the first one was called Anointed, The Passion of Timmy Christ, CEO. And then the, uh, the follow-up was Flutter, an Epic of Mass Distraction. And um, they are both still available. Um, and I'm, I, I would still hope that people are out there buying them. But in the, in the, in the meantime, I'm working on new material. Cool. Um, well, and like I said, yeah, so the, so people can find it like on Amazon at like second oh, yeah. sellers and all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, very cool. Well, uh, Mike, I think he's primed up and ready to uh, to rock the the geek seat. Are you really sure he's ready for the geek seat? You say that before. <laughs> I know. I like to instill a level of confidence in them um, because, uh, you know, we all know that it doesn't last. Oh, I know. Yeah. You know, he'll be quivering like a little girl later. It's okay. <laughs> well, I, I, think, I think if you guys are trying to terrify me, you've already gotten there. <laughs> well, you know, you are. All right. You are, well, then he is ready. You are a writer. So, you know, <laughs> I, use your imagination, I, you know. I, Yes. Well, I'm also a writer, so I'm instantly cowering in the corner. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Prepare to be feasted on with the geek seat. All right. All right. You ready for your first question? Bring it. Oh, oh! listen to him. Listen to him. <laughs> they, they always start so confident. I know. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, Zach. What was your favorite geek out moment? Uh, favorite geek out moment? Um I, I, I'm not alone in being a complete and absolute dork with Harry Potter. So um, my favorite geek out moment was the moment the, the seventh book arrived and uh, running home and, and, uh, and digging right into it. And how long did it take you to write it, read it? Uh, I, I think I got through it in two days because I actually had to go to work. I was going to say, did you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> not as much as normally, no. <laughs> ah, there you go. I think I think it was a midnight release, so I think I stayed up till the three or four of the first night reading. Uh, went to work on a couple hours sleep, and then came back and started reading it, and never stopped. I could understand that. I know a lot mm -hmm. of people who were in that boat. So, yeah, yeah. What disappointed you the, the most of uh, of that? No, what, like what disappointed you geekly? Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to qualify this by saying I, I didn't actually hate the movie, but um, uh, Revenge of the Sith. Really? Um, yeah. Um, I didn't hate the movie because I felt like it completed the chapter really well, but I don't know. I think Hayden Christensen turned me off so much that by the time I got to the third movie, I just wasn't buying it. Well, you're not the only one with that one. No, I'm also not the only one with that one. No, I know that. So yeah, there you're in fair game. So I totally understand that. Yeah. What geeks you out the most? Um, I am 
on some other parallel universe, um, one of the greatest baseball players that has ever existed. And I live and breathe the sport, like fantasy baseball, and make really, really dorky spreadsheets to try to map out which players are the best to pick. So I, I, I really want to pick something else, but I don't really think I can. No, totally understand that. Yeah. I totally understand that. Mm-hmm. What turns your geek off? Do what? What turns what? your geek off? Uh, what turns my geek off? Reality television. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that, that, but um, I, I would say, I would say static characters, things that, that characters that have no depth and you can, you can get me, I think, you can get me as excited as, as possible about things that, you know, I, I geek out about. But if I run into a character that has no depth at all, I, I'm just done. Oh, no. Totally mm-hmm. makes sense. You know, because if you do that and it's just like the fakeness of it, even, you know, when they claim it's live and unrehearsed, it's still mm-hmm. it's still not. Yeah, I know. Yeah. What fixture character would you like to meet the most? Uh, um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say not because I want to die, but death from the Terry Pratchett novels. Um, and I don't know if you ever read those, but, uh, death character from the Terry Pratchett novels was, uh, fabulously crafted and completely didn't understand humanity. Um, was very inquisitive and, and had a pet cat, um, and and uh i don't know i was always fascinated by that character and and thought that now that would be somebody that i would like to sit down and have a conversation about life with no totally understand that yeah that is awesome what fictional character would you like to meet the least um (laughs) which 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 uh, i'm trying to remember the characters from twilight all of them um, I, I, any any of the characters from Twilight, as we get back to that whole uh, lack of depth, and uh, they they were just not at all interesting to me. Not a fan of the Sparkle. No, not at all. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, the the, the, the that, okay. See, I, I'm going to get down a whole rant phase here with Twilight, so I'll, I'm just going to leave that one alone and just say I, I would like to meet none of those characters. <laughs> what you don't. Don't like women that sneer and vampires <laughs> that glow in the dark and sparkle in the sun. I uh, yeah, I saw a list once of all the words that were used repetitively in there, <laughs> and um, I know uh, sneer was one of the big words. I think it was used <laughs> several hundred times. Yeah, you think? <laughs> yeah. What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Um. And um, I am I, I love quotes. So honestly, I think there there are several quotes from the Princess Bride that um, I use repeatedly. Uh, obviously, the Inigo Montoya line is is one of them. Um, but uh, a lot of the lines from Andre the Giant in there are are lines that I would use on people in the the most random situations. So I, I would say I would say quotes from. Princess Bride. 
And I, and I would love to be able to just say there's one in particular, but it really depends on what day it is. No, exactly. You know, and when people leave my, you know, my house, I go, have fun storming the castle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, there are a lot of times that I'm running around going, liar, liar. <laughs> Go away from me, you witch. I'm <laughs> yes. not a witch. I'm, I'm, your, witch, wife. I'm your wife. <laughs> yes, yeah, see, there it goes. Mm, I know. Uh, this this is going down the hole real quick. What yeah. is your ideal geek occupation? Uh, my ideal geek occupation is um, probably Starfleet captain. For t- talking fictional, I, I have to say that. That is awesome. I mean, I don't know if you mean fictional or if you mean real world. If life is fictional to you, that is fine. Okay. What geek occupation would you not like to do? <laughs> um, I feel like I don't want to be the person that has to clean the bathrooms at fantasy conventions. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I... I, I I just do. I, I've experienced the bathrooms, and uh, I, I don't want to have to be the one to clean them. No, 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 no. Totally understand that. Nope, nope. I could definitely, and that's one of the more popular answers on the show. <laughs> I would, that's not surprising. All right, Zach. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? Remember, this is for all the marbles. For all the marbles. <sighs> My ultimate geek fantasy is um, to wake up one day and be in the world of the Harry Potter wizarding community and to be uh, an actual wizard, actually live in that world. You just want Hagrid to show up at your door and go, go, Zach, you're a wizard. Yeah, wizard. Thumping good one. Exactly. Your mom and dad were wizards. Didn't your aunt and uncle tell you that? <laughs> yeah, I don't want I don't want to be Harry Potter. I feel like that that, that wouldn't be much fun at all. No. Also also I'm still disappointed Harry didn't end up with Hermione, so I don't want to be I don't want to be Harry. Yeah, that Weasley chick. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Zach Steele got great news for you, my friend. You've made it through the Geek Sea. Congratulations. Sweet. Uh, Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young man what he's won. Nothing. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $16.08. Ah, that is actually really quite good. Well, yeah, for a struggling writer, that's, that's it's like sixteen, awesome. a whole sixteen dollars and eight cents. <laughs> or are we talking payments here? Because there's a difference. Well, it as I as I like to inform people, it you're on the station. It's station currency. It drops down like it drops in value tremendously by the time you get to the Earth. So, uh, okay, so it's like driving. Fact, like, where, as a matter of fact, depending on where on Earth you go, you might end up owing us money. Oh, geez. Okay, so I should just stay where I'm at. <laughs> yes. Well, you're in. You're still strapped in the chair. I sir. did this. I, I, those, straps I, those, those straps aren't coming. Yeah, I, I did this podcast, and I just I was I didn't leave my house again afterward. <laughs> well, very cool. We were very happy to have you with well, us. And uh, for once again, where can people find out all about Broadleaf Writers Association and the self-publishing seminar that's happening March 16th at the conference? You can find us at broadleafwriters.com. You can find us on Facebook under Broadleaf Writers, and we have an event page for the self-publishing seminar. And as I tell everybody, I am always open to questions. Um, email is broadleafwriters@gmail.com.
Excellent. Cool. We will definitely have that in the show notes. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. All right. Appreciate it, man. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment. We'll be talking all about Coraline. everyone, Michelle here with the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment. It's been a sad week in the world of music. Of course, last week we lost uh, Peter Tork of the Monkees at 77 uh, due to complications from the um, form of cancer that he had been dealing with for a few years that affected his tongue. Um, and it seems so strange, even though you know that these guys are in their 70s, it seems strange to say 77 um, because in our minds they will always be so young. Um, like Mike Nesmith, Peter Tork was one of the monkeys who was a working musician before uh, becoming part of the group. And like Mike Nesmith, uh, there was a lot for him to come to terms with, uh, dealing with the just outrageous success that they had and then the critical backlash that went on for years and years. Um, he was part of the Greenwich Village folk scene in the late 50s, early 60s, was recommended for the monkeys by Stephen Stills. Uh, someone he played with and was roommates with. Stephen Stills recommended him after he didn't get in himself. Um, Peter Tork played uh, and hung out with the Beatles, uh, played on a George Harrison album, uh, continued to make music until very recently. His last album was a blues album. Um, so definitely Peter Tork will be missed and hopefully they will get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame while we still have uh, Mickey and Mike. Uh, it's time. And also news came down on Monday night uh, that Mark Hollis, uh, the frontman for Talk Talk, passed away at age 64 uh, from a short, undisclosed illness. Um, he has not been part of the music scene in some time. He uh, put out a solo album in 98 and retired, uh, literally to spend time with his family. Um, but uh, the two Talk Talk, two or three Talk Talk albums and his solo al album are considered uh, just landmarks in pop music and, and definitely worth revisiting. Of course, they did that original version of It's My Life. Uh, so I will have information about these events and also a few other things on the blog. Uh, Annie Lennox has a museum exhibit out and there's a new rarities collection from Stevie Nicks. You can find that at uh, iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com. Dot com, and I will talk to you next week. Did you know the ESO Network has a brand new Patreon? That's right. We're asking for your help, and you could do it for as little as a dollar a month. Don't fret. All your favorite shows will still be available for free as always, but now you can get exclusive podcasts and more not heard anywhere else but on our Patreon. To sign up for the ESO Network, Patreon's easy. All you have to do is click on the link on the top navigation of the ESO Network website or go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. With your support of the ESO Network, it's you who will reap the rewards. Coraline Jones always dreamed of finding a better world. Ah! 
A world more exciting than this. But never did she imagine that she'd discover it in her own home. A parallel place. We've been waiting for you, Coraline. Where parents are always fun. I love your garden! I can't believe you did this! And everything is so good. What's shaking, baby? It just can't be real. Mom? You're just in time for supper, dear. You're not my mother. My mother doesn't have... B-b-b-buttons? Do you like them? I'm your other mother, silly. You probably think this world is a dream come true. My name! But you're wrong. You do like it here, don't you, Coraline? You could stay here forever. There's one tiny little thing we need to do. Black is traditional. She's got this whole world where everything's better, but it's all a trap. You may come out when you've learned to be a loving daughter. From Henry Selick, the director of The Nightmare Before Christmas, comes a world of extraordinary imagination. Spooky secrets. Who are you? You're in terrible danger, girl. And daring discoveries. I still have to find my parents to set them free. This year, when adventure comes knocking, (laughs) there are some doors that should never be opened. Written for the screen and directed by Henry Selick. Presented in Real D3D. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it's time for the main topic and we are talking about the 10th anniversary of Coraline. Can you believe it? 10 years already. I can't. It's like, it's amazing to me that it's been 10 years um, and a lot's happened in that time. But this movie, um, I think for a lot of folks, it was it was groundbreaking. But for me personally, it it really opened my eyes to a lot of things. And uh, um, I wanted to really spotlight it here on our show. I was really hoping that Leica would um, re-release it in theaters uh, because uh, it's just such a, a monumental movie as far as I'm concerned. And in 3D, it's really amazing um, seeing it in 3D. But uh, but uh, we have someone here to help us celebrate, and it is the mayor of Chicken Town herself. Felicity is here. Hi there. Good to be here. Yes, good to have you. And uh, and so first off, uh, just uh, uh, like what is your re- relationship, or when did you first hear about it? Did you read the book first? Because the book first came out in two thousand two, so it was a good six seven years before the movie. Yes, I did read the book pretty soon after it came out. Um, I got it for Kevin because he was a he's a huge Neil Gaiman fan, and I was kind of just starting to be one. So we both read it and enjoyed it. And then we saw the movie in theaters when it came out as well, and uh, didn't get a chance to see it in 3D, which I'm. I think, like you said, it would have been really nice if they had re-released it in 3D. Yeah, uh, Michelle, we hadn't read the book. I was familiar with the book because I'm familiar with Neil, but I actually I haven't read. Uh, much of his his prose writing at all uh i've read um uh good omens i read that mm-hmm. a long time ago michelle actually uh introduced me to that book uh, a long time ago and then yeah same here I, I had read uh good omens and and that was about it until uh getting to know kevin and and just seeing what else 
what else Neil Gaiman had to offer. So I hadn't actually read the book until just this past week. And I read it for the first time because I, wow. I want to read it before I rewatch the movie, just to mm-hmm. see, you know, um, how authentic it is and how, you know, um, respectful it is of the original material. And uh, yeah, so, so for those people who are listening, we might, we're probably going to get into some differences, obviously, you know, we're going to, we're going to spoil it, quote unquote. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, but yeah, Michelle and I went uh, I probably pretty much just because of what we'd seen before. I think the selling point was really Neil Gaiman writing it, uh, although he didn't write the script, I don't mm-hmm. think. And uh, but really based on Henry Selleck, who yeah. we'd seen some of his other movies and just knew that he did always did interesting stuff. Right. We were, you know, Kevin, especially is a huge fan of Nightmare Before Christmas. And uh, sure. there's really some, you know, in I noticed rewatching the movie in the opening credits with the uh, the uh, ragdoll being sewn together. It was very reminiscent of some aspects of uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Now, Mike, had you seen it? Had you read the book? Oh, I read the book to William when he was really young. Wow. OK. And, you know, well, when I say young, you know, he's almost 20 now. And, you know, when I read it to him, he was like eight. So right before the movie had come out and then seeing the movie at the theaters was just stunning. And it's interesting when they were doing it at the very beginning and, you know, they were putting the rag doll together at for a little bit, it almost looked like Oogie Boogie. (laughs) Yeah. It reminded me of Oogie Boogie and also of of Sally and of the, uh, the uh, you know mad professor who she works with mm-hmm, exactly and with the with the the metal hands doing it mm-hmm. it was just like oh that is just, that is definitely something out of nightmare before christmas yeah it's definitely done i mean i know that nightmare before christmas a lot of people think of that as a tim burt movie but i really think it's more of a harry Selleck movie um yeah especially when you see his other work um like james and the giant peach um like yeah he definitely has a style (laughs) and oddly enough i think he's only done three movies i think uh yeah nine before christmas james and the giants beat it's in Coraline, and he hasn't done anything since then i don't think and i don't think i ever saw james and the giant peach it's possible that i did and i'm just forgetting it but uh don't think i actually saw that one um yeah, I'm looking at his filmography here, and he's worked on several movies uh, since then, but uh, in various uh, with various roles, but not directing. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think uh, so. Obviously, Mike, the being familiar with the book, the movie was was an appeal to you, and and did you see it in 3D? Because no, I know that 3D. I don't. I don't do 3D because it's interesting. Because even tonight, right before we started recording. Judy and I were watching it and you know we had planned on watching it over the weekend but we got caught up watching Mad Men instead we're binge watching that but that's a whole nother story but we uh, watched it tonight before the show and uh, we had we got a new disc from Best Buy and it was the Blu-ray but it also it did have the 3D version and the 2D version on it. Cool. Yeah, our Blu-ray has the same. I didn't know if you needed a 3D TV to watch it, though. That's what I was thinking also. I think and, you do, like, yeah. and so it's just like, let's stick with it. And it's still breathtaking. It is just mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah, yeah. This was the, Watching it on my Blu-ray was the first time I had seen it. Not 3D, but it's still 
uh, it's still beautiful. Um, and it's what, it, what really amazes me too, is that, you know, for, because right around this time before Caroline came out, the biggest thing in animation was Pixar and Pixar was churning out these beautiful CG rendered movie uh, animation. That was just like, that was the future of animation. So then you, Coraline comes along and you kind of think when you first look at it, that it's, that it, that it, it is computer animation as well, but it's not, it's stop motion animation, which is so painstakingly like <laughs> difficult to pull off. And yet this, these, like this, this studio Leica is, is I think the best in the world. Oh yeah. Well, look what they've done since, you know, with Kubo. Yeah, their most recent movie, Kubo, is is one of my favorite movies of all time. And but Coraline is is right up there. Coraline is so good. Mm, very uh, much did, so. Did they do Paranorman as well? Yes, they did yes. Paranorman. Yeah. And they also did a movie called The Box Trolls. I've heard of Box Trolls, but didn't see it, and I didn't see Kubo yet either. Yeah, they're they're impressive. Uh, this this company. So this was their first feature film that they had done. Uh, so yeah, it was a. It's a big risk um, mm. uh, because, you know, they're, they're using this quote unquote, you know, difficult old fashioned animated style. Um, but yet uh, I think it, it adds, especially when you see it in 3d, it adds a depth to it that I don't think you can, you can mimic with, with 3d like computer animation, but you can't really get that depth unless you, unless it's like, it's really there. Yeah, I've always been a fan of stop motion and uh you know, going back to the rank and bass days. But yeah, there's yes. there's just a there's a there's a realness to it, you know, a, a physical you know, physicality to it that even the best computer animation doesn't have. There's sort of I was thinking about that too in the, when I was watching rewatching this movie because I grew up with the bank and rank rank and bass too. Bank and Rass, what? Um, yeah, I know, right? And uh, as well as some other stop motion animation stuff that came out. I think uh, what Davy and Goliath was was stop motion, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, Gumby, and, and Gumby before that. Yeah, yeah, and all that stuff. And and so I think I think this is another reason why this style appeals to me a lot because I'm just familiar with it. I grew up with it, and I appreciate it. Um, and I appreciate it even more now because you you seldom see it, especially with feature films. Um, mm-hmm. Now, um, I think another company that's really good at it is um, uh, uh, the ones that do the um, Wallace and Gromit movies. Yeah, Ardman. Ardman, yes. Uh, but they are they they focus mainly on clay, and they definitely have a their unique style to themselves. Yeah. But um, yeah, so. So we saw this in 3D and it just, like I said, it blew us away. It's, it's, it's beautiful to look at. It's so detailed um, and it's creepy. <laughs> I mean, for a, you know, kids movie, it doesn't, it doesn't shy away. I don't think it, it really is creepy. Oh, very much so. Yeah. I think that I personally got a creepier sensation from the book, but I think that it's, Maybe just because I was, you know, leaving it up to my imagination, and in my imagination, it was even, you know, it was very dark and not, you know, there's there's some really great, colorful, beautiful, colorful stuff in the uh, in the movie, even when it is it is at its scariest. So, I think I, I wasn't as creeped out by the movie as I might have been. 
Yeah, let's. I, I, yeah, I would definitely want to talk about that. So no better time than now to talk about some of the differences, which I didn't realize were differences until I'd actually read the book. So um, yeah, there are definitely some differences uh, in Henry's um, uh, story than there are in the book. I think, I think a lot of them are basically not that big of a deal, except for the introduction, I think, of... Um, YB, right? That's his name? Yeah, that's definitely the most consequential difference. And it wasn't something that I had a big problem with when I saw the movie, but because I think that, you know, so much of the book is kind of Coraline's internal monologue and yes. it's it's hard to translate that. So I I think the addition of a friend is a good thing. I don't think it necessarily had to be a boy because it's really cool to have, a, you know, a girl figuring everything out by herself, which is, you know, that's a lot of what appealed to me about the book. Um, I do think that YB works as a character and um, it just, it just made me a little sad that Coraline couldn't handle it all herself. Yeah. I, it doesn't really bother me until the very end because Mm -hmm. the very last, the very last threat, which is the um, other mother's hand. Yeah. um, Is, is in the book. I mean, she skillfully uh, traps it. Uh, yeah, that lays a trap yeah. for it, and is is really um, um, really an agent, like her own agent for that. But in, yeah, in the movie, it takes her by surprise, and it's really YB that kind of saves her. And I was like, yeah. And so you, the last thing that you see, the last threat, is is her him saving her from that. And I'm like, yeah, but she's done everything else herself. Like I, yeah, it does seem like kind of a weird move. Yeah, and the cat. I mean, the cat is behind it, so you could kind of. I can kind of accept it that way. You know, the, the cat was the one who told <laughs> right. YB that Coraline was in trouble. But sure. yeah, the that's my favorite part of the book, really. Like, just her deliberate, planned, you know, attack on the uh, the hand. Yes. And uh, just, you know, knowing that, okay, this is one more thing I need to take care of, and I'm going to do it. Yeah, I think that's the biggest uh the biggest thing i i was kind of surprised because it'd been a while since i'd seen the movie so when i read the book there were a lot of things that i was reading and i'm like man i don't remember that from the movie and then sure enough when i watched the movie I'm like there it is uh, so <laughs> i was like um i think the the neighbors are fleshed out a little bit better in the movie yeah i think so too it's um it's uh, uh and they're fun yes uh particularly not a throwaway in the book, but they're just they're just kind of like added color. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. And then because because Mr. B is is amazing in in the movie. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't really get I yeah I don't even know if we get a description of what he actually looks like in the book. Uh, but yeah, in the movie he's he's quite the character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, agreed. And it's interesting because you know the two things with the sisters downstairs which, you know, I had to bleach my eyes afterwards. <laughs> almost, oh, yeah. almost made I me wish how... I, I did have buttons for eyes. At po- yeah. different parts. I forgot how horrifying that was. <laughs> yeah. I know, me too. I was like, whoa, how did I forget this? <laughs> it, so it was just like, yeah. When the, you see the first one and she's in the mermaid outfit, and you're kind, of, and she goes, "Wow, she's practically naked." And I'm like, "Going, not really." And then you see the other one, and you're like, "Whoa, now she's naked." Yep, exactly. She's not wearing any more than I've seen at burlesque shows. True, true. Oh hell, I've seen people wear more at Dragon Con. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't 
think I want to see that cosplay at Dragon Con. I'm just no. going to throw that out there. Oh, uh, I, no. I can't believe I haven't already. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, have that's a good question. Have you guys seen any Coraline uh, cosplayers ever? Like Buttons Eyes? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think I, I would think that would be a popular one. Yeah, I saw the, someone was dressed as the mother and was holding the Coraline doll. Gotcha. That's cool. Yeah, with the little doll with the buttoned eyes and everything. So I saw that probably like two or three years ago. Any uh, any other things about the book, the differences between the book and the movie? I really like the the sequence where she you know she goes back home and then her parents aren't there and she's kind of delighted at first she's like okay i'm gonna go to i'm gonna go buy whatever i want to eat but then she slowly transitions into realizing they're not coming back and and just being really sad i think they do a nice version translating that into in the movie but it just it's kind of a longer more drawn out yeah because i think uh, it's book right like it's, it's like a few days in the in the book right yes well, and you could tell that the groceries had been sitting there for a while. Yeah. yeah. With the, with the maggots creepy. and the Well, bugs. that is a difference between the book and the movie. Because in the movie, she goes in and out of that. And it's just kind of a dream, really. Like, she goes <laughs> yeah. in and then she wakes up and she's back in her own bed. And I'm like, well, that's, yeah, in the book, I mean, in the book, she, like, goes there and then. And goes back. And then goes like physically goes back. Yeah, she always goes through the door. It's what, it's what I thought. I didn't get a chance to reread the whole book, but and it's a it's, a it's a regular sized door. It's not like like a mini. Yeah, door. right. And it's a regular hall. It's it's also a regular hallway. It's just yep. sometimes there and sometimes not. It's not the kind of weird long tunnel that. Yeah, uh, it's just a hallway that goes to a door that that goes that has a brick wall on it. Yeah. There was something weird and creepy about that tunnel, though. Yes, it, there it, was. It almost felt like the tunnel was something living. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a kid, and this is going to play into my psychosis, hold on. <laughs> but when, when I was a little kid, my parents had taken me to the Franklin Institute in Philadelphia. And they had a giant heart that you can go into, wow. that you could w- walk through. And the walls beat, you know, oh, went in and out, yeah. you know, the beating and everything. And it scared the crap out of me. And that's <laughs> the same feeling I got when I saw that tunnel. Wow. I just thought it looked like, um, cause we have like with our cats, they have like the little cat tunnel like that we have and that you can like sort of stretch out. And that's what it kind of looked like to me. Yeah. To me too. Cause the, she's the first couple times it's the, you know, the mice are going through it. Right. But to your point, it, like, see, it seems the, like they almost kind of stretch it out as they go along. In the book, it's really implied that even though Other Mother is like a bad, a, like a, a villain, that she's not the big va- bad villain. Like you get the sense that she, like, there's something else that she answers to that's in control of that tunnel. Is that did I read into that right? From the book, yeah, you felt like there were multiple beings. And other mother was just one of them. Yeah, that's that's the sense I got. So it's almost like this Lovecraftian, like, like other, yeah, other yes. being. <laughs> I like that that sense. Um, I don't think she also. I also don't think she transforms into a big spider like character in the book, which is you know no. plays on all my fears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they they do play up the the spider analogy with her. 
a lot uh the whole web thing and all that yeah because it almost seems like that tunnel like Coraline is is like in a web yeah, uh, so they, do yeah. Play, exactly. they, play with it, they play with it visually yeah mm-hmm. um so all right so that, those are differences um uh, now i want to talk about the characters in particular uh the voices were there any characters or voiced by anybody that you thought didn't work for you as far as compared to the book or just didn't work in general or did you think everybody was perfect no i thought it was perfect i really did anything you know especially because you had john one of the johns from they might be giants doing the singing yeah of the father yeah Yeah, that definitely that jumped out to me right away i had forgotten it from the first time i saw it but as soon Mm -hmm. as he starts singing i'm like oh yeah I, know I didn't know, and I think it was because back then I really didn't, I wasn't as familiar with him, but I, I was surprised to find that Ian McShane was the, the voice of Mr. Bo, Mr. B. Mm-hmm. Like that was a surprise to me, but it's perfect. And I think, look, I think the, the, uh, the retired actresses that live on the base, mm-hmm. like having Saunders, French and Saunders be them is just yeah. perfect. That is a, st- a stroke of genius. It makes me wonder if, you know, Neil Gaiman didn't have <laughs> someone like them in mind. <laughs> I, it does, you know, the book is very British. And I guess the only thing that bugged me a little bit was making the main character, maybe making Coraline's family American. Right. Um, not enough to, you know, ruin it for me, but just, you know, in Coraline, you know, having blue hair wasn't what I pictured. I pictured just kind of like a rather ordinary looking British schoolgirl but it didn't bother me i think it was you know it was definitely visually interesting i thought it was beautiful i thought she was really well done and she stood mm-hmm. out yeah really nicely and i thought terry hatchett did a great job as mom yeah other mom yeah this the fact that she can do both and and really kind of i mean the character design and the facial expressions really sell it too but the, she can be just kind of like an ordinary kind of overwhelmed you know, frustrated mother trying to take care of everything and then be just so sugary sweet, but with an evil core inside <laughs> as the other mother. I think in the movie too, and getting back to the comparisons, I think in the movie, the parents are a little, um, like the mother is a little bit more abrasive. Yeah. And I the think father so. is a little bit less attentive. Yeah. I think they play, play that up too. Like the parents, don't really seem that out of the ordinary. I mean, in, in the book, I didn't get the sense that they were neglecting Man. her at all. It's yeah, just that uh, yeah, this, no, this is just something all. that happens. Right. Yeah, exactly. And in the movie, yeah, in the movie, you can, I think you can feel her frustration with them more. Well, and I why felt she, like why she really wants to get away and have an adventure. I felt like a lot was in the book she was like a a younger teenager, but she was getting the teenage angst, and you know she was just she was moving to the new place and she was like upset and everything. And that's why other mother was able to take over and you know, yeah. appeal to her where in this, it literally was night and day where her parents were very unattentive. They moved to this new place. They hadn't fixed it up. The place was kind of dumpy and, you know, basically they were ignoring the girl and, Coraline was looking for an escape and that's where other mother was able to make everything perfect. The food, the, the warmth of the house and you know, how happy and go lucky the father was. And it was just so different. Yeah. 
Yeah, they they really had a bigger ca- contrast, I think. Well, I think they had to for the big screen. Yeah, I mean it works. Um, it but they did, but they, they captured Oregon perfectly. That is what. It <laughs> well, I, it's not Oregon in the book, so. No, I know, but in the movie it was. <laughs> um, but uh, I think, yeah, I think to your point, uh, getting back on Other Mother, I mean, Other Mother truly, uh, you know, she's she's nasty in the book and in the movie, ooh, she's now like at at like, you know, Disney villainous level bad, right? She's like Other Mother is one of the biggest villains, I think, like in the history of film literally so creepy yeah (laughs) and and the the you know give give neil gaiman a lot of credit the the button thing which is realized in this movie is creepy like it's just it's something so simple like oh just gonna have like there's there everything's the same except their Mm -hmm. eyes have been replaced by buttons well they even did everything everything had in that other world had the buttons right. on the eyes, yeah. even the mice, the dogs, yeah. and look what was going over the shadow over the moon. Yeah. That is something I just, I just remembered was different from the book because in, in the book, I think it's the first time she, she visits that they present that to her. Like you can stay here forever. We're just, we just need to do this. Right. And she just, she, she reacts much less, you know, outwardly. She's just like, okay, um, I'll think about that. Bye. Whereas it, it comes later, it comes after several visits in the movie and she freaks out. The, the challenges are a bit different um, mm-hmm. that she has to face. I mean, it's very much like, you know, for, you know, kids or whatever, um, you know, the, 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 the hero's quest or the video game, collect all the items and face the big boss villain, very much something that kids can relate to. I mean, so the mm-hmm. plot's pretty simple, but uh, I think it's executed really well. And, um, but the, yeah, the challenges are a little bit different in the movie. Um, there's a, a really incredibly creepy and emotional and intense scene in the basement with the dad character, the other dad. Yeah. Uh, and that's in the book that is not, <laughs> I don't think they could have done that. I think if they had done that, uh, in the depicted that in the movie, I think it would have been at least PG, like it would have been R maybe. Because that yeah. scene is is terrifying. That's that's probably the most terrifying scene in the in the, in the book, I think. Yep, totally agree yeah. with that. But it was interesting. I was like the whole scene inside the mirror when she got thrown in, right with mm-hmm. the ghosts. Yeah, that was just like, that was creepy as heck. Because you know, everyone you know that almost had the Alice in Wonderland feel to it. You know, yeah. being pushed on through the mirror and everything. It was just like, oh man. I think in the book also the um, the uh, actresses give her the the stone with the hole in it pretty early on. Yes, yeah. Whereas in the movie yeah. they kind of give it to her right before she needs it. They, uh, in fact, they they read her tea leaves, and they're mm-hmm. concerned about her. And I think they give her the stone right there, like after they read. Yeah. The tea leaves. And also uh, the um, in the book, um, the, the upstairs guy tells her that the mice tell her not to go through the door before she actually goes through the door. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So look, I don't want to make it sound like we're like the movie is inferior to the book because it's, it's, it's think, not, it's not, I don't think it, like if there, if there, if it is, it's only slightly so um, yeah. because I, I, think, um, 
it's it's a like good example i think of it yeah it's like a different vision but though i think the the main uh spirit of the book if you will is still there very much there and uh the main i think the main thing that that neil gaiman wanted to get across in the book is that the main message was um uh you know when you, if you do something you know if you do something uh out of the norm uh that in and of itself doesn't make you brave if you do something and you're if you are afraid of something and you do it anyway that makes you brave um and i and i and that's one thing that Coraline really faces uh because when she she knows that if she goes back to uh the other mother's world that you know she she could lose everything and yet she does she goes in for to save her parents and she goes in with the full knowledge that you know and fear and she is a de- she's deathly afraid but she does it anyway um i think that's that's still in present in the movie as well mm-hmm. absolutely you know you see it when she i think it's the cat who suggests to her you know challenge you know challenge the other mother she likes games and yes. so you can see her kind of you know steal herself and uh, steal her will when she she proposes the, uh, the the contest to the other mother yes and and when she plays it out too when when she gets to the uh the the parlor there and she hasn't found her parents yet mm-hmm. but she's still and so she's still confronting the other mother there at the last at the last sort of the last act that she does um and you can tell that she's 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 terrified but mm-hmm. uh she she does what she needs to do and <laughs> tosses the cat at her <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the cat was not happy about that right no no <laughs> i i like how just i like the look of the cat just how it's so skinny and mangy and just but has that you know very knowing face and the big blue eyes yeah, the the both the look and the the um the voice with Keith David as the cat. Yeah. Was perfect. Perfect. Mm. <laughs> uh, and he I like how he just kind of disappears into the the uh, fence post at the end. You yes. Know you know there was something magical about him. Mhm. Something more than meet the eye. <laughs> yeah, cuz he kind of implies I think in both that he's been he's faced her like for like a long time yeah mm-hmm. it's so much so he just likes to, he just likes to hang around and, and and pester her yes you know he, he doesn't seem scared of her not per se although she he yeah. is where he is wary he's like you know yeah. like i think there's certain things that you would use not you don't do this because that'll that'll be the end of you you have to be careful right. around her but but yeah he does like to well he's a cat so of course he yeah. likes to you know but <laughs> And be a, be all cat like, like in your face, and and be in places that you're not supposed to be. And even though you think you've locked them out, and there's no way they could possibly get in, they do manage to get in and cause trouble. So yeah, I think Neil Gaiman from from some of his other writing too understands cats very well. <laughs> yeah, kind of, sort of. <laughs> well, here's a question for you, since uh, then, Mike, I know you've read other Neil Gaiman novels. Oh yeah, and Felicity, have you done that as well? Yes, I have. Um, I've read Neverwhere, which actually was a TV, you know, a, a TV series first, and then a novel. I read the novel, then went back and watched the TV series, which is pretty bad. It's weird. Um, I've seen it. It's very yes. weird. 
They are coming the out acting, with a new version of it. Yeah. Though. The acting is very uneven and just the, you know, it, it's obviously just they did not have the technology to realize it. So when when you read the book and you think, wow, this sounds really cool. And then you see it in action. You're kind of like, oh, that's disappointing. <laughs> I think Kevin disliked it more than I did. I mean, I, I, I it had its charms, but Kevin was like, I'm glad I read the book first. That was terrible. <laughs> well, I know that, um, uh, you know, Neil has, has said recently, and I don't remember him saying this before now, but I think it's because he's taking an active role in producing Good Omens. And he yeah. basically said that, look, you know, all throughout my career, other people have made, have adapted my work. And mm-hmm. For for usually the worse. Not that he's yeah. he doesn't he doesn't seem to be ragging on it per se, but but he just doesn't have you know control over mm-hmm. that. And I think it's in to some extent it's frustrated him with some of the changes that have been made to some of his material. I don't think he was talking about Coraline in particular, although I was thinking if there was one thing that he probably missed in the movie version of mm-hmm. Coraline, it's a simple thing, but it's it's the fact that. Um, because I know it meant a lot to him because he referred it to, I think one of his children would refer to his, when he ever he made something in the kitchen for for the kids, uh, they would be like, oh, it's another one of his res- dad's recipes. Oh, yeah. Like, like yeah. And it was this big thing about like how like dad would make these like these like intricate um, uh, food items, like these recipes, like the, and to, to give them and, and they usually were not that. <laughs> not that good i guess or at least not uh, what the kid wants to eat <laughs> right the kid just wants something like the kid just wants a peanut butter and jelly sandwich mm-hmm. like you don't need to like you know be a chef like they don't want a yeah. chef the only chef they want is chef boyardee um, yeah so i also i read stardust which is i mean it's available in both graphic novel and just regular novel form well, and i read yeah also a movie i read american gods and i liked it but i didn't like it to the extent that I think a lot of people do. And I found the TV series unwatchable, actually. <laughs> I know a lot. I know at least one of you likes it a lot. And <laughs> no, I think we both I enjoyed really, it. But what I really loved is... Two more weeks. Uh, we got, then we get it. Yeah. There's, wow. a, there's a book that shares a character with American Gods, but it's, it's a comedic book, Anansi Boys. And that's, that's a masterpiece. That is a really, really good and very funny book. Exactly. It takes one character, but it's actually his sons. Right. And Son it, of the spider uh, god. Exactly. It's, it's really interesting. It's, then so, it's also, funny. Have you it's, read it's Good Omens? Funny. Yeah, I read Good Omens um, back in high school, probably. Or college. You know, it was, yeah, college, I think. Have, um, have either one of you read the Graveyard book? Yes. Yeah, okay. I forgot about that because it, it really didn't do anything for me. I don't know why. That's because that's more of a kid's book, too. Mm. Well, Coraline so, is, too. Yeah. I, I, I found it didn't live up to Coraline standards. No, it didn't even come close. William got bored with it when I read it to him, actually. Well, my question is, since you both have a lot more familiar with his writing than I am, and, I mean, I've read, like, a lot of his comic work, Sandman mm-hmm. and and a lot of his other his Batman work and super, other superhero stuff, so I'm more familiar with that, but... My, I guess my point is in in Coraline in the basic story, um, especially in the movie, is there are are there traits of this that you can actually like nail down as like this is a game and trope. I don't know if trope is the right word, but just kind of kind of a a sinister side to things with a, a pleasant veneer. 
and the, the, the Neverwhere is all about kind of like the hidden, you know, the hidden world, you know, underneath London or, you know, just kind of, kind of behind the, the veil is this kind of elaborate fantasy world that nobody knows about. So I think, I, you know, there's, there's an aspect of that definitely to Coraline and to, um, to some of his, his other work. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think even though it takes place and they Americanized her and the family and it takes place in Oregon, I still think it's got an English feel to it. Um, oh, very, very dreary and rainy. What's that? Yeah. <clears throat> very dreary and rainy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's got, yeah, it could be, you're right. Exactly. It could be <laughs> England in that respect. Um, also, it just has this sort of uh, like, it seems like there are, I've I've noticed this a lot lately. It seems like there are a lot more British fantasies where, you know, the, the, the female or the, the boy, the, like the, the girl or the boy, like go to other realms, they experience magical things. I don't see that happening a lot with American stories. I mean, I know that. Yeah. That there, is, yeah. I, I, I forgot that it kind of gave me a Narnia vibe when I first experienced it going mm-hmm. into the wardrobe, going through the, the secret sure. door yes very yes. similar and, very very yeah. similar so there's an Amer- there's a series that i actually have not read the books but i'm a huge fan of the tv series and that's the magicians and that is an american writer lev grossman who kind of doesn't satirize exactly but there's, there's, there's like definitely like a narnia component to the story where the the protagonist grew up reading these books um and in the, in the world of the book they're kind of you know they're kind of akin to narnia um, they're about some children who discovered a, um, they went through a clock and wound up in the magic world of Fillory. And then it turns out in the, within the book and, and the TV series that Fillory is real. You can definitely get the sense that they're like Coraline has, has roots or as least is, uh, is, is a descendant of stories like, um, you know, Alice in Wonderland with the looking glass mm-hmm. and, and Narnia and uh and even i would dare say like you know like winnie the pooh with the hundred acre wood and all that like Mm -hmm. you know going and finding like a something in the house and going to a a magical place yeah and and meeting somebody who's not very pleasant (laughs) indeed they do they they also excel really in in really good bad guys too i think Mm -hmm. uh really creepy and imposing figures Oh yeah, very much and, so. And like I said, I think Other Mother ranks up there very highly with me. I mean, she's creepy, um, she's powerful, um, and she's not dumb. I mean, the way that Coraline no. kind yeah, of gets very around clever. fire is very clever and doesn't diminish her at all. No, not at all. And it's interesting in the movie with the look and feel of her, even when she was all stretched out and horrific looking, she still looked like Terry Hatcher, even to, the, <laughs> even to the mole. Well, you know, like, I mean, Terry's had a lot of work done, so she probably looks more like Terry every day. <laughs> Scary. Sorry. Wow. But, uh, wow. look, I, like, I, I used to have a big crush on Terry uh, back in the day, but I just don't think the work she's had has done, has done her any favors. I, I saw her on Supergirl in season two, and I thought she looked fine. Yeah, I did see. I think that was the last time I saw her as well. And that was that mm. was that was better. That was better. Uh, but I think there was uh, that time where you know for years she was on what was it, Desperate Housewives? Was that what it was? Yes. But oof, 
All right, I didn't think we were going to take that angle. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think we were going to go there, but... Uh, as the cat goes, meow. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, very cool. Well, um, I think just to wrap up, um, if you guys have any last words on, on the movie, is there anything that we haven't mentioned yet about the movie as far I just, as... I think the characters, the way they were just portrayed, because, you know, none of them looked truly proportional. They mm-hmm. each were like caricatures and represented the personalities from the downstairs neighbor to the upstairs neighbor to the parents to Coraline herself or even her friends, you know, everything, you know, was out of proportion and kind of warped. And that's what was so beautiful. Yeah. I, I I noticed, I, I didn't remember this about Whitey, but he always just, he always holds his head at a tilt. Mm-hmm. He has, his, and he's also he's also slouching a lot too. Yeah, yeah, he's he got knows. horrible posture. <laughs> yeah. But then, so did the um, I guess the quiet whitey, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you know, in the other world, yeah. you know, where he didn't speak at all, and mm-hmm. but he, you know, oh, it was just it was amazing, and that yeah, the quiet sh- whitey is pretty. The quiet whitey is pretty creepy. Yeah, oh, he is. Yes, <laughs> he really is. Um, and I like, I like it when she when she sees him back in the in the 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 real world. She's like, "Oh, it's the YB who talks." <laughs> I, I would definitely. I mean, I don't think we covered it, and it certainly didn't do it justice. But uh, um, I, I definitely encourage people who um, are interested in this movie to look up um, and look at some of the details about how it was made. I mean, uh, the the making of this movie is is was not easy it it required like a huge huge warehouse in oregon um which had like over 150 sets uh each one of the the rooms was built everything was built every every item that you see on screen was actually built um and they used 3d printers they used uh, over almost 500 people to make this movie animators technicians designers I mean, it 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 was not a simple task at all, and Mm-mm. I don't I don't think you know Leica gets enough credit for the movies that they make this way, um, because it's just it's they are really like huge feasts. Uh, oh, feasts. Yeah. it took them over two years to make this movie. Yeah, and it's it's just amazing. And I've seen the puppets at a museum. Yes, I they actually I saw um uh, the first time, was it the first time? No, a couple of years ago I went to uh the Puppeter Center here in Atlanta mm-hmm. yep. and they had uh Coraline actually and I I actually it was funny I turned the corner and I saw her and I instinctively just went Coraline I just said it out loud. <laughs> like I was like, "Oh my god, it's Coraline." Like I just I was so excited. Because just to see, and she's a lot bigger, I mean, than I thought. Like, you kind of think that, you know, when they animate them, they're going to be these little dolls, but they're like these little action figure size. But they're, she's a pretty good size. She's like, what is it, 8, 12 inches? Something I think she's like, like 12 inches. Well, they need to, to get all yes. this detail. And the and that's her, you know, her parents obviously are bigger. Like, everybody else is bigger. I mean, she's kid size. So. Yeah. So, it's just, yeah, I, I think, think it's I amazing. I check that out next time I'm at Dragon Con, because I haven't gotten over to the, the she's not she's not there. she's not there anymore so but no but they do have um but on that note they do have uh the corpse bride the two cup the mm-hmm. couple from the corpse bride yes they do 
So, um, and I think the Leica stuff tours. Uh, so um, every once in a while, Leica's got a movie coming out this summer uh, that I'm very excited by. So, um, so I'm hoping that um, they continue the tradition because in my mind, they haven't made a bad movie yet. Uh, but um, yeah, the next one that they've got is Missing Link and that's going to be in April. So I'm excited for that. So I give them a little plug. Um, so anyway, uh, I don't think we need to rate this as far as stars go, do we? No, no. This is just, it's a classic. It's, it's, a, it's 10 years old, which I can't believe, but I would put it in classic film status. Um, if people haven't seen this, uh, this movie, they need to, I think, right? And, oh, and yeah. I think it works no matter how old you are. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm a 50 year old man and I was reading the book and I was in, in, I identified with her. I was in, I was creeped out by the book. I mean, it worked on every level that it works for kids. I think um, he was squealing uh, the whole time, folks. Let, <laughs> me, let, me, let me ask you this, Mike, just real quick. Um, as a parent, is this, does this work on a different level? Oh, of course it does. Um, William had to sleep with the lights on the first night after he saw this. <laughs> But I mean, when you read this, is it does is it like do your like parenting like you know instincts kind of kick in about like you know a kid in trouble and all that? No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that says what kind of parent I was, but no, <laughs> uh, no, it you know it was like I was as a parent I couldn't stand the the parents in the movie and. Mm just like ignoring her or, you know, just like shooing her off and everything. We're too busy to do this, too busy to do that. And, you know. Now, if they'd been off podcasting, it would have been different. It would have been more. Ah, hello. (laughs) (laughs) I would have given, you know, Coraline, you know, her iPhone and she would have been fine. (laughs) Well, very cool. Well, Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. I think we've done a great job um, celebrating this classic movie. And uh, uh, we will be right back with the ESO Network. What's new, Pussycat? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's new, Pussycat? Whoa. Welcome to a Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this Geek Girl is talking about the Pokemon Let's Go game for the Nintendo Switch. So, I've talked about Pokemon Go on the show in the past for your cell phone. Well, Nintendo has released a game that is compatible with it for the Nintendo Switch. But before you get too excited that there's a game and there's going to be lots of crossover, let me go over just a few things. First, You don't have to play Pokemon Go to be able to play Let's Go for the Switch. Second, you have to play a decent chunk of the game before you can really connect the two devices to have that cross-platform play. The game itself is made up of two different games, Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee. Depending on which one you buy and decide to play depends on which Pokemon you start with. Of course, with Let's Go Pikachu, you'll start with Pikachu, and Let's Go Eevee, you'll start with Eevee. The one that I got was Let's Go Eevee because Eevee's adorable. The game is beautiful and the Pokemon are super, super cute. There is even a function where you can dress up your Pikachu or your Eevee into cute little outfits 
And you can even have matching outfits for your character, which is a lot of fun for them to add into the game. Now, for those who have played Pokemon in the past, this is a super upgraded version of Pokemon because the graphics are amazing, the storyline is the same but different like each Pokemon game, and there's a lot of different ways to interact. You name your character, you name your friend or foe in the game, there's lots of great stuff with Team Rocket, there's just so much to do in this game that it was really, really well thought out. Well... Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. For the week of February 27th, this is the ESO Network Con Report. Well, there are three, count them, three conventions where you can find ESO. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> exactly. Uh, in March, in the month of March, starting with March 1st through the 3rd, MarsCon in Bloomington, Minnesota. That uh, is a, a science fiction uh, and also a uh, dementia track, which has a lot of comedy, uh, music comedy uh, appears there. And... Uh, of course, a representative from the Flopcast, Cornflake, is there every year. And what does she specialize in? That is right. Water aerobics. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I can't wait to... I, someone needs to send me video. Um, and that's not the only event in March for network folks. Uh, we are looking forward to, down here in the South, the SC Comic Con. That is in Greenville, South Carolina. Mike and I will be there. Uh, there will be an ESO network table as well as uh, I will be at the Tiki Zombie New Legend table with artist Peter Cutler. And uh, we're going to have some other friends at the station there. It's going to be a fun time. We are also, also are participating in panels. We'll have a little bit more details on that, I think, uh, at some point uh, before the show. And uh, it's going to be a great time. So it's a great convention. We definitely recommend coming out and joining us for the SC Comic Con. And then last but certainly not least, March 22nd through the 25th, that is Matrotham Con. It is in East Ridge, Tennessee, right near Chattanooga. It is the first year inaugural show. Uh, and I will be there again with Peter Cutler. We will be there selling issues of Tiki Zombie and all sorts of other fun stuff. Uh, so come see us in East Ridge, Tennessee, March 22nd through the 25th. And that's it for uh, shows that we're going to be at in March. Uh, if there's a show that you want us to help participate in, uh, rant and rave about, please reach out to us because we love talking about convention. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Air Station One podcast. Want to thank Felicity so, so much for joining us this evening. Thanks for having me and thanks for thinking of me. This was a fun discussion. No problem. Anything you want to shout out about? Well, I am affiliated with the Flopcast, part of the ESO network. We're at flopcast.net and facebook.com slash flopcast. And I maintain the Twitter account at Flopcast. I've kind of rebranded it a little bit, so it's it'll appear as Mayor of Chicken Town now. And I uh, use it as I'm going to be more active on Twitter because I'm kind of using it as my main Twitter account now, too. So in, in addition to promoting the Flopcast, I will be sharing random geeky and chicken related stuff as i come across it well you know chicken town is spreading its wings and you know, <laughs> literally 
Literally, and, but yeah. it's always all coming, awesome to have yeah. you up there. <laughs> so coming up soon on the Flopcast, uh, Cornflake is going to be going to MarsCon in Minneapolis uh, next weekend. So in the near future, she'll be back and recapping that. Water aerobics. Exactly. Yes. She, she needs to bring the water aerobics to Dragon Con. I Absolutely. Really we really want to get her to Dragon Con one of these years. So we're it's it's an ongoing project. I definitely think she should. And, you know, she probably can arrange it as an official event. Mm-hmm. A lot of hungover people doing water aerobics. I would put it to <laughs> Hell, you might even see some cosplayers doing some water aerobics. <laughs> Could be a lot of fun. And Mr. Mike, thank you, my friend. As always, it's my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about? I do. I'm not sure when they're going to be released, but uh, last week I had the pleasure of joining our good friends at the uh, Story Geeks once again. But they have something a little different that they're doing now. I don't know how many, uh, if our listeners are that familiar with everything that they do over there. But, uh, of course, they're known for diving deeper uh, into their in our favorite stories but uh, and movies. But lately they've been doing a thing called uh, Nerd Fights, where they uh, have... Um, uh, all four of their hosts, you know, they have four hosts now. Um, all four of their hosts will uh, take sides and a judge or a moderator, they'll debate a topic and a judge or moderator will oversee and then make a decision as to who was had the most convincing argument. Um, now, I was uh, honored to sit in as a moderator on two such nerd fights that we recorded. One was the best live action depiction of Batman. And the other was best uh, portrayal of Spider-Man and in the movies. So, um, so they, uh, Jay and his crew had different, uh, they all had different people that they sort of were um, defending as far as, as their picks for their favorite Batman and Spider-Man. And uh, I, I decided I laid down the law. Uh, so it was, uh, it was very fun, a lot of fun. Um, so I, I'm hoping that uh, those will come out pretty soon and people can check them out. Nope, I totally think that would be great. And story geeks are a lot of fun with or without Howdy Mike. So it's a good thing. <laughs> they are. They really are. We love what they're doing over there. Oh, yeah. We're big. All of us are big fans. Yep. So definitely check out the story geeks. All right. My shout out real quick is to congratulate Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse for winning the first Oscar for, you ready for this? A Spider-Man movie. That's right. Stan <laughs> is looking down from heaven and smiling ear to ear. And Steve is there, but not talking to Stan because they didn't talk. <laughs> so, yeah, but that, they were that was a very satisfying now. win. Oh, it was awesome. I was so happy to see it. And you can actually own Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. By the time this goes live, you'll be able to get it digitally. And the week after, you'll be able to order it through our Amazon's link right on the ESO website. You can order it and it'll be out on Blu-ray. So I will watch it over and over again. Oh, yeah. It, and it's amazing. And just not the story, but the animation styles are amazing. They mix and match so many different things. And it's like nothing I've ever seen before. And I just loved it. Yeah. So, as, as, as groundbreaking as I thought Coraline was when I saw it 10 years ago, I had that same feeling when I saw Into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm, exactly. And that was just what made it you know and it deserved to win so we'll be celebrating this in 10 years we'll be celebrating the spider-verse in 10 years mark that down 
Well, by then they should have at least what twelve sequels out and spinoffs. <laughs> and we'll be sick of it. Exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, I, like I posted again. on the. Oh, sorry. Like I posted on Facebook, I said the the only thing that would have made that movie better is if they put the Electric Company Spider Man in it as like a, <laughs> right. a, a an Easter egg or one like one of a, a, an end credit scene. Got to save something movie. for the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys seen, actually, I know we're going a little bit long on this part, but have you seen the Captain Marvel point-off yet? Oh, yes. Where it's Cap- it's Sh- Shazam, Captain Marvel, and Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, going, you stop pointing at me. No, you stop pointing at me. You pointed first. No, I pointed. No. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I have not seen that, but I will look oh, it up now. It is, it is awesome. And, yeah, it's going to be great, and congratulations, and it was awesome to see Stan in the memoriam. I was worried that they were going to miss him, but they missed some other big ones there. But they always miss somebody. They yeah. miss Carol Channing. Come on. Hello. Ugh. You know? And so I was kind of like, mm, all right. So yeah, there was just, but they got Stan. So I was happy. So, all right, that's about it. But we definitely want to hear from you guys at home. Please write us at station one at esonetwork.com. Please let us know your thoughts, your wishes, your hopes. And thank you, everyone uh, we, who's been listening, actually. Now that we have um, over on our Patreon, you can hear this show 48 hours before the rest of the world. If you sign up to become a, a patron of the ESO Network, Earth Station One, Earth Station Who, and the Dragon Con report are now released 48 hours prior to release to the general public. So once I get done editing these things, they go right up onto Patreon for 48 hours. And then they go out to the general public up on, you know, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever fine podcasts are found. So you could subscribe and become a patron of the ESO Network for as little as 25 cents a week over at patreon.com slash ESO Network. Doesn't get much easier than that. Join us here next week when we are going to be going again to talk to two of the movies but this time darren is joining us and we are going to be looking at cabaret that's right folks liza with a z is coming out and we're going to see cabaret with joel gray and it's going to be awesome it's been years since i've seen the movie so it's going to be a lot of fun to do but until then my name is mike faber we will see you here next time on the air station one podcast peace and we are done Ta-da. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. 
Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.